Warning, warning, two idiots are reading the SCP files over the intercoms. Please, gun them down immediately. Hello and welcome back to Discover an SCP. No, we don't discover SCP anymore. What? What are we? This is Discovering the Wanderer's Library. No way! My God. Is this that... Is this the Rounder episode? Wait, why didn't we get Rounder on for this? Fuck. Oh, shit. <laughs> it's, it's a whole wiki. Rounder doesn't own it. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, he does, Sweaty, because I said so. I, I actually sneakily signed up for the Wanderer's Library and got approved, but I followed what? your rules. I haven't read any Wanderer's Library articles oh, or, like, written This anything. guy, not even I'm in part of an account on the Wanderer's But Library. I have an account so I can upvote things on the Wanderer's This guy. <laughs> I'm one step ahead of you, bubby. But don't know. So we begin. Uh-huh. We got, we're going to start this the way we started off our first SCP episode, where you sort of read through like the brief of what it's all about. Okay. Do you think Milk Jesus could survive on the Wanderer's Library? Maybe. In another, <laughs> in a perfect world. Go to this tab and go to Universe. That's the one you're looking for. So I have a question. Is this just a one-off episode, or are we doing like the beginning of the WL arc? Because I'm... That would be really cool. Um, things. If we do more than one Wanderers Library episode, we're gonna probably space them out a bit. Okay, okay. Well, we'll we'll consider the Wanderers Library like our in-universe spin-off series. It's the filler arc. <laughs> no, no, it's a spin-off. No, it's no. like uh, the Cleveland Show or something. This is instead of the discovering Cleveland SCP, show. it's ch- check in and check out with Darnell and Tan. <laughs> But yeah, go to the universe tab on that orientation. Why don't you read through it? Are you going to give me the link, Bubby? I did. Or do I just... No, you didn't. Oh, no, I sent it to Anomalous Writer. (laughs) 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 It's contextless gets a link to the fucking (laughs) orientation. Anomalous chance? (laughs) Anomalous, I deleted the message, so you'll probably listen to this thinking you've got insane. I've just gaslighted you from the past. Yeah, sorry for getting gaslit, dum-dum. No, I'm kidding. Sorry. Anomalous. Sorry. Dude, Maybe you I was talking have a more to an robust mind. <laughs> I was talking to Anomalous the other day. I was like, dude, simply come to America and live with me. And he's like, I would, I will try, but it is impossible to escape the Philippines. I'm sorry, Anomalous. We'll get you out of there soon. <laughs> yeah, that's our next mission on the podcast. Kickstart. Anomalous out of there. <laughs> oh, man. All right. There's the Wanderer's Library. Weehaw. Why don't you go to... Uh, Let me make sure I'm logged in. Oh, it's just like the SCP wiki. It signed me out, so I gotta sign back in. Damn. I gotta say, we didn't even like do an opening bit. We're so ready. We're so prepared. We're both at 100%, which is because we're both at 0%, and we just like forcibly recharged. Yeah, yeah. So, so techniques. I, I was at like my limit. I've been at my limit mentally and physically, but like right before we started, I kind of like anime screamed my way into being awake. And it worked. <laughs> I've got one day off tomorrow, so I'm gonna enjoy it by sleeping. Hell yes, dude! You should you should play Inscription. Nothing hurt my soul more than when you were like, "I know what you ha- what happens already," and I looked, and you only had an hour in the game. That's all, man. This guy. You, you can't spoil yourself, <laughs> says me, the guy who always looks up how to get the true ending. I know. I have to like, restrain you from looking up how to avoid the devil. <laughs> it, it's true. <laughs> it's why I hate true ending format games, because like I don't mind if a game has multiple endings. If they're all valid, I'll just play through it. But if a game's like there's a true ending, I feel a compulsion to get it, or else I'm like missing out. I think Undertale did this to me. That was the first game where I felt like compelled. I had to look shit up. But that's part of the like, narrative, like... 
Like, it assumes you're going yeah. to do that in the game. Yeah, and Undertale, at least, but it ruins a lot of other games for me, I think. It's good that you hold me back from doing it, because I've often, like, spoiled myself in the process of trying to reach that wonderful, beautiful world. That distant horizon we jumped off. <laughs> Alright, well, this introduction is pretty short. Was the SCP one this short? Um, I think so. I think it was short. Okay, so this seems... Okay, here we go. <clears throat> Am I reading this, or you? Uh, the universe. You read it. You read it. You show us what you've got. This is the first time Donnell's okay. read on a podcast. So everyone be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> everyone quiet, I'm thinking. Uh, hang on, I gotta burp. Uh, there we go. The Wanderer's Library is a collaborative fiction exercise. It's a collection oh, of stories. Wrong, 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 you have to go through universe. That's the bit we're looking at. Wait, where? The, the one tab that says universe. I don't see a tab that says universe. I see introductions, rules, meet... Oh, there it is. Universe. Yeah, there you go. one. <laughs> the Wanderer's Library is a place for stories that evoke a sense of wonder. Everything from epic tales to short blank verse poetry to audio and visual works are welcome here. So this sounds dope because it, what I'm hearing is just post whatever you want, as long as it's obviously like yeah. not inappropriate. Good. Uh, like you don't have to do like an SCP format or something. Nah, the framing device that binds all these disparate stories together is the library and its worlds. So, what is the library? The library is a place that exists outside of normal space, containing almost every book ever written and many that never were. There's like um, and I'm not. And when I say this, I'm not doing like a, this is just this thing. I just like relating things. Um, have you ever read or watched The Magicians? I've not, but I've heard of it. It's kind of a mess series, but I got into it for a bit, and they have a similar concept where there's, like, portals between worlds, and in that in-between area, they have, like, a library that has information on everything, and they have, like, books on people's lives and shit. It's kind of like that. Nice. There are doors that lead to it all... Yeah. There are doors that lead to it all around the world, and in other worlds as well. If you climb to the top of the shelves, you'd see more shelves as far as you could see. There are walls, there are limits to it, but it's far larger than any man-made building. The library exists, so far as anyone knows, to collect and make available books and information. Who's funding this shit? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> welcome to check out books or other materials. Much of the library's workings are mysterious to its patrons. That'd be actually kind of dope to, like, tax every world across a multiverse for, like, this a public guy, service. This guy's American, <laughs> you can tell. <laughs> He learns of the, the wonderful source of all knowledge. He's like, mm, we can make a tidy profit. No, I'm not talking about profit, but you know how like public services are paid by taxes. I was like, uh, who's paying for this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah he, he likes taxes now. They didn't like them 100, 200 years ago. Well, uh, back then, then tax was a bit excessive. Your T tax was too much, dude. That shit no was like over the line. If you look at the numbers, if you look at the numbers, Cry, the T tax was kind of insane. Well, you know, maybe you drink less tea. <laughs> you guys, shit, we didn't want to. We put it in the ocean. You guys were like, "No, nah, you need tea, right?" Because you're British. Okay, you know we'll just send it over anyway. You're much of the library's work. So much. <laughs> much of the. What does this become? <laughs> I forgot where I was. I like the, the recurring discovery SCP format where the Civil War reignites for a little bit. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean Civil War? Do you mean the Revolutionary War? <laughs> well, you know, they're still part of Britain, so it's a Civil War. 
Oh, okay. I thought, okay, we have a different civil war. Do you guys call it the civil war? Is that like how the I South did. calls the civil war the war of northern aggression? Which is like the weirdest thing of all time. <laughs> we call it the peasant revolt of 1702. <laughs> Wait, really? That's actually based no, as fuck. No, no. I'm like saying like it's a crusade of kings too. Fucking the peasants <laughs> <Yeah>. uprising. <laughs> Oh my god, I want to do, like, a Crusader Kings in, like, 1700s world now. That sounds so fun. Please Where was I? Oh yeah, some parts known as the... We offend all our British and American listeners. Yeah. Do you hear that, guys? Tia and I have combined to say that Europe and America sucks. Uh, nowhere's good. It's only Sealand. Actually, there, yeah, Sealand is the only... I actually thought about buying Sealand royalty once, because it's kind of cheap, and I feel like it'd be a good gag gift for, like, a friend that's in the history. Donald, I want to give more them... than anything to know more, but we do have to read the page. Right, okay! <laughs> Let's go, Curtis! Some parts, known as the archives, are accessible only to a select few, while others may only be accessed by the librarians. There are a few simple rules to the library. Return your books on time, don't damage books, don't steal books... Don't damage library property. Don't harm those within the library. The ranks of the librarians are filled with those who could not or would not follow them. Uh, the librarians are the caretakers of the library, who oversee its day-to-day maintenance. A patron is most likely to encounter one of three types on a given day. Oh, are they like Pokemon? <laughs> the archivists serve as the... Oh, Magnus Files. Serve as the desk in the main hall of the library. listens to one Magnus Files and leaves Mr. Cookie Room. they have no eyes but they know instinctively where to find any book in the library they also distribute the library cards check books out to people and keep track of who has which book if you have you ever heard the internet dum-dum just use that you can automate this whole process the library um sorry i have an iphone (laughs) this is all the library i need goes to browse uh fucking instagram what we're doing if you look behind the desk you'll find they have no legs but instead are connected directly to the chairs that are rooted in the marble floor that sounds like a bad thing because they're so easy to prank what are they gonna do they shouldn't have broken the rules do you think a prank counts as hurting someone like a prank on your friend like haha i dumped water on you or something i don't know like how hurtful. do you think do you think the library has like context or do they do everything like maybe it's based on like your intent Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because, like, for example, don't harm those. What if you trip, for example, and you fall into someone and they get hurt? What if someone wants to, like, attack the library and they just, like, sent guys from a universe where violence is, like, communication, so in their mind they're just talking to people when they stop punching them? Uh, Violence is communication. That sounds like my kind of universe. Pages reshuffle the books in the library. They have anywhere from six to ten arms, bowed legs, and squat bodies, making Same. them excellent climbers. All right, this is going to sound embarrassing, but can you remind me what bowed legs are? They're like, um, how do I describe them? <laughs> is that like when the legs are bent outwardly? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Just wanted to check because every time I hear bowed legs, I think like squatting, but that doesn't really make sense. Able to reach the highest shelves without need for a ladder. They rarely so much as touch the ground. Actually, this kind of sounds like um, Nirvana Act 3 from Dark Side Rainbow. Yeah, he was one of the... The docents... <laughs> he could be. 
The docents guide patrons through the library, showing them where like books. I like how you've said that, and I was going to be Googling like Dark Century, like, what was he referring to? And no one will ever get the reference of the the first JoJo campaign we did between, like, four people. But that there's no public record of, so sorry, not sorry. <laughs> as well as stalking the stacks for violations of the rules. They are perfectly silent and, in fact, have no mouths. Where their left hand should be, a chain grows, connected to a brass lantern that never grows dim. The docents, in particular, serve as the first line of defense for the library against hostile entities. So wait, if you don't follow the rules, you become one of these, but th- then I guess your like personality turns yeah, to them as you well. Get re- I guess you get recruited, like, your free will's gone! Sorry! I wonder I wonder how they transform. I wonder if there's like a fourth library and like the final boss that like molds you into <laughs> one of these. Where their left hand should be, a chain grows... Oh, wait. The docents of our... T- okay. Some say that they are able to sense the presence of hostile beings even before they enter through a way. Although this claim is controversial, to say the least. This actually sounds like a really cool Dark Souls level. I would, <laughs> I, I would explore the library. You could have the like, ways the or connection- Dark Souls game set in the library. Start in fucking children's books, work your way up. Oh, uh, do you think they have like different stuff in each section? Like it's a whole other world? Maybe. Do you mind if I BRB real quick to blow my nose? Absolutely. I do mind, I'm getting so angry. Oh, shit. And I'm going to I'm kill. sorry. I'm so know. stuffy. Please, Tan. <laughs> I'm begging you, please. I'm killing you. Right now. All right, well, while you're killing me, I'll be right back. Smile. I don't think you're safe out there in the comment section. Because I can see you too. Better not blow your fucking nose. So I'll kill you. There's no reason for me to, but I just might for the hell of it. You understand? <laughs> I'm the Joker, baby. Sorry, I can't think of any funny bits. I just sort of laughed insanely Woo! for like a minute. What? What's going on? I just I just sort of laughed insanely for like a minute. Nice. I couldn't think of anything. The ways are connections between various worlds and realities. The library is a nexus of ways insofar as almost every world is connected to it by at least one way. Do you know the way? Each way is a... Uh, what, what's that thing the Mandalorian says? This is the way. Each way is a door of sorts. It can be anything from a literal door to an arch to a mirror. To go through, you have to knock at it. That is, do a specific action or fulfill some specific criteria. Maybe whistle in the right way or bring... Does fulfill have two L's at the end? Uh, I think it can do as it likes. Fulfill. That's fine now. Let's let's expose these hacks. It's different in the library. Oh, I see. Oh, they're both correct spellings of the word. Really? Yeah. Huh. Um, to go through, maybe whistle in the right way, or bring a seven-leaf clover, or unspool a VHS copy of Enter the Dragon, that sort of thing. You knock at the way, step through, and find yourself in a new world. Not always lead to the library. Some lead to other worlds. Some lead back to different places in the same world. The greatest minds, including those in the serpent's hand, have been unable to figure out how they work. If there's a logic to how they function, no one has been able to discover it yet. So Serpent's Hand, we haven't really just, like, gone deep into it, but I recognize that from SCP. So I assume... I don't want to say the library is an SCP spin-off, but I assume they're, like, related in some way. 
Yeah, so we'll get to the next bit here, which will uh, expand that. Does this mean your your hole that goes to other worlds is away? It could be considered a very convenient one, yes. But it goes to a random nice. universe every time, so it's not... Much yeah, cool. so I guess it's less of a way and more and like a And also if you go through it, you die. Wait, you die? I thought you could live when you went through it. No, you die. Really? Every time? Can go through. Yeah. That sucks. You should fix that. It's a broken way. That's why it's an SCP. I've just decided. That's also why they don't have to... Maybe they would live if they knocked. Maybe people aren't doing a knock. Yeah, maybe. The Serpent's Hand is a group of individuals who believe that the supernatural should not be suppressed or kept secret. Their individual ideologies... Well, that sounds like it lines up with the library, right? Because they're all about sharing info? Yeah. Their individual ideologies can vary a great deal, as can their methods. They're more of a loose political movement than a concrete organization. The membership varies from normal humans who want to show what they've learned to others, to those gifted with extra-normal abilities, and even to non-human entities that desire the acceptance of human society. While there is some debate about the age of the group, most agree that it has existed in one form or another since at least the late 19th century. For reasons that were unclear, the Hand was unable to access the library for some time. It was only in 1967 that the library was rediscovered by the Hand. Despite the Hand's close association with the library, there is no official link between the two. The library serves as a base of operations and general meeting place for the Hand, but the Hand has no ownership over it in any meaningful sense. There is no centralized command of the Serpent's Hand, with dozens of different factions and splinter groups each acting out their agenda under the name of the Serpent's Hand. This lack of organization is a function of the Hand's sole criteria for membership being a willingness to consider oneself a member of the Hand. More than anything, the Serpent's Hand is an umbrella for those who wish to understand the worlds a bit better. It makes no demand of its members, nor gives any promises. That being said, there are certain figures within the Hand who, through deeds, scholarship, or charisma, are more likely to have their voices listened to. One such figure is L.S., a leader of one of the more radical factions of the Hand. Engaging against, rather than just avoiding, groups like the Foundation and the Global Occult Coalition, L.S. has made a name for themselves, despite never being seen. And I assume that links to, like, an SCP article? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> but we're not going to we read that one? articles today. Oh, we have not. I don't believe so. Okay. So, what is our... I kind of wasted a lot of time there going insane. We're already, like, 20 minutes in. What is our article in... How many how many Wonders Library articles do we have today is what I should be asking. We have one, two, three articles. Hey, short articles. I like it. Yeah. Let's get this into good. it. Okay. So, these are going to be some some samplings from across the library. I've plucked these from the shelves. The law for this episode is that we've broken in and we're now stealing books. <laughs> Yeah, we found a way uh, in Tanhoni. I am a way. I'm a living way. That's my secret. Oh, I, I stepped through Tanhoni's body into the library, and then he like, to, did a vanilla ice and consumed mouth. himself. <laughs> Wait, did, did you really do a vanilla ice then to get here with me? Yeah. <laughs> you just eat your own self? Oh, what an image. This is secret to my power. I'm, this is my new OC. I'm a way that became sentient. <laughs> Damn. Okay. I but can't we'll believe I'm off. learning this about you now, Tanhoni. Why did we yeah, ever need to steal from the foundation if we could go to the library? That's why we were at Mysterious Entities. I was a, a portal. <laughs> <laughs> did you say portal or torsal? Portal. Okay. We're starting with a loaf. This is the top-rated um, article on the Wanderers Library. This is A Loaf Story by Rubitson. Wait, really? It's only got 130 votes. Is the Wanderers Library like still kind of small? Um, it's, it's not as frequented as the main foundation. Okay. But that's because it's better. 
a loaf story. I'm excited for this. I hope this is just a love story with a bunch of bread puns. <clears throat> well, let's... Um, I'll, I'll begin and we can popcorn it. Sure. Emilio and Elizabeth first met at the bakery. He was from the nearby farm, a quiet, dark-skinned boy who liked to sit at the window and watch her customers walk by. She was from three counties over, sold along with her sister for three cows, a wagon, and six hunks of cheese. Her lodgings were the back of the shop. Both preferred to keep to themselves in the company of a few well-worn friends. They hardly spoke until the day the fat lady came in. She was large like a ripe peach. Every step she took threatened to punch a crater through the floor. Bundles Wait, real quick, skin... who's this by? We should probably by credit. Rimiton. I did. Gotcha. Oh, sorry. I... <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Why do you assume... Like, I know you, you like, we've, we've gone through, like, you don't always catch it. Why do you assume that I forget? <laughs> No, Come I didn't on. assume you forgot. I just worded it badly. Okay. I just no wanted to make sure I, it was I'm said. I'm so pissed off. I'm going to smash my computer. I want to I wanna say to the audience, it's not Tana's fault. That's my fault. You can shoot me with I'm your I'm going to smash the comment section and destroy it in anger. <laughs> okay. Bundles of skin and veins and fat poured over each other, fighting for dominance and shoving out the hem of their clothes. A basket yeah. swung at her hip like a loaded pistol. Atop her head flopped a wide-brimmed hat, threatening to smack any unsuspecting pedestrians. Her name was Mabel Warm, and she was looking for some bread. The baker smiled and told her their bread was the best in the city, and that she should have a look around. She roamed through the aisles, picking and choosing, inspecting loads as she went, and rejecting each one. When she came to Emilio, he tried to force himself to stop quaking. There's no reason to fear, he told himself. You'll be ignored, just like everyone else. But when he felt her meaty grasp around him and the tap-tap-tap of her fingers against his crust, he couldn't help but begin to shiver. Later he would think back and decide that this was the reason he was chosen, and be happy he did. But that moment, when he realised he was being lowered not onto the shelf, but into the basket, he only felt fear. He sat in the basket and sobbed quietly to himself. The lady moved around the store, continuing to pick up bread, but none met her standards until the top of the basket opened, and in fell the most perfect loaf he had ever seen. For a moment he forgot all about Mabel as he took in the smooth curves, ridges and crusts of her body. She was a pale, fried brown colour with a thick and ovular body thick. Ovular? <laughs> Running down her centre was a shallow valley, sided by two sharp ridges that bent slightly back. Her bottom was made up of hundreds of tiny pale lumps arranged in a smaller oval. Oh, what kind of bread is this? This is like the rolls of pasta house. I love these. She too, he noticed, was shaking with fear, and he felt the need to comfort her. Popcorn. Hello, he whispered, and winced at the fear in his voice. What's your name? She was silent. He repeated the question. Elizabeth, she said. Her voice was also tinged with fright. Nice to meet you, Elizabeth. I'm Emilio. He tried to scoot across the basket to her, but didn't have any room to maneuver. He slumped against the wall. Listen, we're going to be okay. No, she said. We're going to be eaten. We're not going to be eaten. It was a clumsy lie. I bet we can get out of this. Before she could respond, the basket slammed down. He heard Mabel ask for something from behind the counter, and the baker shuffling through the cabinets. The top of the basket opened, and the baker peered down at the loaves. He set a price to Mabel. There was the sound of coins bouncing. The top closed, and the basket was lifted through the air. It swung, 
flinging the two loaves against its sides. Then there was stillness and the clopping of hooves. Emilio sat in the dark, trying to work up the nerve to speak again. Finally, he said, So, where do you come from? Gamenia, she said almost before he was finished speaking. He'd never heard of the place. I think I had an uncle from there, he said. I doubt it, she said. He tried to ask more questions, but she didn't reply. So he sat in the dark and rued his fate. Of course, he had always known this would be how he died. But some small portion of himself had clung to the belief that he would be able to escape it somehow. That he would go stale, or be tossed out accidentally, or, against all logic, one day the baker would simply let him go free. Just pick him up from the basket and place him on the doorstep to find his way through the world. But now reality was confronting him in the face. Thoughts of knives ran through his head. Knives and cutting boards and cheeses and meats and sandwiches. Not sandwiches. (laughs) Not sandwiches. The only comfort was that he would die with Elizabeth. The sound of hooves stopped. The basket was lifted into the air once again and began to move forward. A door slammed and the basket was tossed down. The top of the basket was ripped open and two great hands thrust into it, grabbing the two pieces of bread and bringing them up into the light. There was the voice of the fat woman and a man discussing a dinner party. They were tossed down into a white bowl. The woman lumbered away. The rest of the day passed in silence. A few times, Emilio tried to speak, but Elizabeth never responded with more than an indistinguishable murmur. After three tries, he gave up and began to look around the house. They were in a large white room that he assumed was a kitchen or dining area. To his left were two windows overlooking a garden and small pond. To his right was another room, purple, with a couch, coffee table, and bookshelves. The fat lady was there, talking to a slim man in a black suit. Both were drinking tea. Inside the kitchen, there were several more bowls. Two of them likewise contained bread, but they were too far away for Emilio to call out to them. Three more had fruit, and Emilio already had enough of a headache to talk to them. The last, enshrined in the center of the counter, had vegetables. Emilio briefly considered trying to speak to them, but decided against it. Talking to vegetables never resulted in anything but being looked down upon. The fat lady got up from the couch and waddled into the kitchen. From the fruit bowl, she picked a bushel of grapes and a green apple. Ignoring its laughter, she lifted the apple to her lips and bit down. Juice ran down her face as she walked back to the living room. She handed the grapes to the man, who thanked her and bit into the apple again. Its laughter swelled, filling the entire house. But they couldn't hear or didn't care. Emilio shuddered. That would be their fate soon. Ripped over, open, and passed out to be used as a delivery mechanism for spreads at the dinner party. His mind flew through the possible courses of action. There had to be something, some way to escape their doom. He just needed to think. "'I know how to get out of here,' said Elizabeth. "'What? You do?' said Emilio. He tried to shake himself around to get a more direct view of her. "'I'd like if they mixed it up a little more instead of just using said every time.' "'Yes.' "'Well, what is it?' "'The vegetables.' "'The guests had arrived. The table—actually, no, popcorn.' The guests had arrived. The table was lined with food. Roast pig and barbecued duck. Sweets and cakes and pastries. Fruits and vegetables. Fine meads, wines and ales. And most important of all, the bread. To his relief, Emilio and Elizabeth had not been split up. Both were positioned on the right end of the table in front of hungry-looking raccoon and his wife, who were discussing the latest <laughs> decree outlawing the sale of non-denominational clothing. Emilio glanced over at the vegetables. They had been placed in the fanciest possible bowl, and seemed quite content with the current situation. It didn't seem to have occurred to them that they were not guests. 
but the final course. He hopes that was the case. If the veggies knew about their fate and were, for some reason, going along with it, all hope was lost. There was their stood glass raised to give the traditional pre-feast blessing. With all eyes, ears and noses turned towards her, Emilio made his move. Psst! He whispered to the vegetables. There was no response. He was getting tired of people ignoring him. Psst! Hey, leafers! Over here! stirred. Excuse me! You heard me. I don't think we heard you right, said a carrot. Because I don't think you'd be stupid enough to say that. He turned to the cabbage. Did I hear him right? I think you did, said the cabbage. <laughs> Seems like we got what? something lacking a proper respect for authority. Is this the fucking vegetable mafia? <laughs> I think we need to teach him some manners, said an eggplant. <laughs> Why, yeah, yada. Shut up, said Emilio. They stopped talking. It was probably the first time anyone had ever spoken to them like that. If you don't listen to me, you're all gonna die, he said before they had the chance to get indignant. What? said the carrots. Who do you think you are? said the eggplant, threatening your lords. The nerve. <laughs> Dark Souls lords. <laughs> the four leafers. Privy ashing one. I'm not threatening anyone, said Emilio. They're the threats. He nudged in the direction of the diners, who were still enraptured by the speech. They're planning to eat you. Eat us, eat us, <laughs> said the cabbage. Do you not recognize guests of honor when you see them? I recognize food where I see it, said Emilio. Look at where you are. If you were guests, you'll be seated at the table. You're in a bowl next to breads and meat fruits. Who put a guest next to fruits? There was silence as the vegetables considered this. Then the cabbage said, You're lying. I'm not lying. If you want to survive, you're going to have to break out of here. Another silence before the carrot spoke up. I think the bread might be right. He's not right, cried the cabbage. It's a trick. He's trying to make us look like fools in front of the hosts. I don't know, said the eggplants. <laughs> Why are we on the table? <laughs> I love how the eggplant's like the big dumb guy. <laughs> because you're going to be eaten, said Emilio. Why is that so hard to believe? We're royalty, we're said the cabbage. Maybe they like the thrill of it, I've heard of people like that before, said Emilio. We can figure out reasons later. What's important now is that we get out of here. There was a long silence. The hostess finished her speech and sat. The other guests followed suit and picked up their forks. They began piling food onto their plates. The raccoon reached for Emilio. Hurry! The cabbage was lost in thought. The raccoon picked up Emilio and began to pull... He felt his crust starting to crack, his innards being loosened and drawn apart. Now, Very well, said the cabbage, but you'll be held accountable if this is mistake. The cabbage scrunched up in concentration. There was a hissing noise. The guests grimaced and screeched as the vegetable's consciousness began to burrow its way into their own. Wait, what? Blood poured <laughs> out of the hostess's nose. The tearing on Amelia's inside stopped. Then, in unison, each person at the table slumped down, dead, and dropped their food. Emilio rattled across the table. A half-eaten purr bounced on the cloth and came to a stop in front of him. Wee! he said. I want to go again! Emilio breathed a sigh of relief. Oh, is that why the fruits are insane? Because they like being eaten? Dude, why do the vegetables have fucking mind powers? Because they're so powerful. How does anyone eat a vegetable in this world? Because they're so cocky. They're like, mm, you would never dare. 
And then they get eaten while they're all giggling to themselves about the latest Charles Dickens novel. The vegetables made a hasty retreat. The fruit stayed behind, apparently hoping the guests would rise up and resume their feasting. Emilio and Elizabeth, having only the most rudimentary means of locomotion, set to work trying to leave the house. After six hours of fevered inching across the ground, they made it to the back door. Well, said Emilio, that was exciting. Yes, said Elizabeth. That was a good plan. Thank you. I suppose this is where we part ways. Yes. Wow, this is a... This Elizabeth lady ain't much for conversation, huh? <laughs> Emilio thought. He didn't really want to leave. Yes, they had known each other for only a few hours, but he felt closer to Elizabeth than any he had than he any he had any other bread. I assume then he had any other bread. Yeah. He just couldn't figure out how to say it, and soon his only chance with her would be gone. We don't have to leave each other. What? Oh, that's her. We don't have to leave each other. What? Had she really said that? He had thought she'd hardly noticed him, just thinking of him as a way to enact her escape. Oh, uh, what do we do then? It was a stupid question. He already knew the answer. <laughs> we could go somewhere together. Right. He tried his best to sound suave. Of course, that would be great. Blustery, gosh damn idiot, he thought to himself. <clears throat> when she was very young, Elizabeth had decided to never fall in love. In a world such as this, she had decided where you <laughs> could be eaten at any time. <laughs> <laughs> at any time, and the common folk suffered at the hands of the rich. Love was a silly thing. She held fast to this rule all her life. There'd been brief flings here and there, but they were nothing more than temporary things to help ease the loneliness for a few moments, never intended to last. Now she didn't know what to think. She'd seen Emilio a few times at the bakery and been impressed with his calmness and the ease with which he talked to people. She had her own friends, with whom she was comfortable, but speaking had never come naturally to her. With him, it seemed as normal as breathing. Though he, like her, had a few close friends who he preferred the company of, he seemed to know and get along with almost everybody. She preferred the solitude. Still, she sometimes felt the desire to go out and be more sociable, which she quickly suppressed. And then this had happened. She was alone, far away from the bakery, with no other bread but Emilio around and a recent bonding experience. A lesser loaf might view this as a blessing. She was not a lesser loaf, and should have left him to find her own way. But, against her best instincts, she found that she had enjoyed her time with Emilio, terror-filled as it was, and didn't want it to end. So, she asked him to stay. The first night they spent on the street was the best and worst of her life, and though he wouldn't tell her until much later, later Emilio thought the same. It was dark, cold, and they had no shelter. They inched along determinedly, looking for a place to rest, but found nothing. Dogs barked at them. Birds pecked their crusts. Midway through, it began to rain. It was only a drizzle, but even that could be harmful to an unsheltered loaf. The fear of being somehow caught and swept back to the table loomed over them. But as they moved, they talked, and the danger faded from their minds. They discussed almost every topic imaginable. He told her. He told of her of his. Li he told of her. He told her of his life at the farm. This needs to be edited. Like this needs to be gone over for little quirks. Before the bakery, and she told him about Gaminia. He admitted he didn't actually have an uncle from there. She told him of her family and how she had been traded for cheese. He confided in her his worry for the loaves he had left behind at the farm. The night snuck past them. The sun crept into the sky. A crate of discarded oranges was found and chosen for shelter. 
After two hours of coordinated effort, they were able to lift it and place a rock under its rim to allow easy access, before slipping inside and immediately falling asleep. Elizabeth woke first, after almost a day of rest, and prodded Emilio until he grumbled out of sleep. They had slept through the day, and the inside of his crate was now too dark to see anything. After shuffling outside, they began discussing what to do. Emilio wanted to stay at the crate. Elizabeth insisted on trying to find somewhere safer, not so exposed. Finally, he relented, and they moved on. They kept to the alleys as they traveled. The weather was mostly fair. At the very least, there was no more rain. The large clouds circling overhead threatened to release a deluge at any moment. At night, they would stop and abandon crates or bags or bins, and during the day, inch along, talking relentlessly about a variety of subjects. Permanent shelter came in the form of a broken dresser. It had been left overturned by the side of the alley, outside of smoky, grimy apartment. I assume a smoky, grimy apartment. Yeah, I assume so. A hole had been punched through one of the sides, allowing the travelers to easily get inside. It was spacious, comfortable, and protected. The perfect place for them to stop. Wait, what was that voice you were doing a second ago? I totally, like, didn't even Um, register that. When you say someone had punched you on the side, I said, that was me! (laughs) Yeah, why are you on a... Using my eggplant fist. <laughs> After coming to the consensus that they to should go stay like a there, <laughs> they began to pull decorations from al- from the alley. Okay, this really needs to be edited. Like, it's not. It's only small mistakes, but they're like all throughout this story. Someone needs to like fine tooth comb this bitch. It took them almost <laughs> two weeks to get it to their liking. Once they did, they were able to, for the first time since escaping the bakery ages ago, after triple-checking for any dangerous animals or hungry pedestrians and covering the hole with a steel sheet recovered from a trash can, rest. It was a pleasant experience and one they had dearly missed. Life passed by quietly. A routine soon developed between them. At the start of the day, one would wake up and brave the outside alley looking for any useful garbage that might have been thrown out the night before. If anything interesting was found, it would be dragged back to the dresser for closer examination. Wait, what does food eat to get energy? Because um, they can move and think and stuff. Do they Are they like a source of infinite energy? Maybe. Or do you think they burn the, the energy that they're forms. worth, and when they run out of calories, they die? I don't know. Maybe just the perfect if, life form. That could be it. If judged useful, it would be kept. If not, it would be quickly pushed outside the door and forgotten, just like our viewers. The rest of the day would be spent talking and playing with the many objects they had accumulated. When it got dark, they would go to sleep. (laughs) Damn. For the first two weeks, they slept separately. It was on the third, during a rampaging thunderstorm that hammered against the top of the dresser and threatened to collapse the roof, that Emilio made his way over to Elizabeth and lie down next to her. Hello, she said after a long silence. Hi, he said. They spoke no more. Only listen to the rain as it drummed above them. Elizabeth inched closer to Emilio until they were just barely touching. He said nothing. The night sailed on. He never slept alone after that. Some time after that, they had lost track of the days long ago, they were staying awake talking when Emilio said without warning, I think I love you. I love you too, said Elizabeth. And that was that. They both knew it was true, and there was nothing more that needed to be said. The discussion returned to philosophy. Life was good. Popcorn. Elizabeth was inside, reading for a scrap of newspaper, when she heard Emilio scream. She was near the door, unable to get outside in two minutes. When she saw what was oh, happening... Oh, because they're so slow! She... Yeah. <laughs> she too no. screams. 
a pigeon had landed a few feet away from the dresser. It had seen Emilio gathering trash and had him on the ground underneath one leg. It was ripping through his crust, tearing out the inside fluff and devouring it. It cocked its head to the side and stirred at Elizabeth Pet Shop. <laughs> no! <laughs> she yelled again and hopped forward. The pigeon took a step Did you back. see, like, two fucking vegetables speared by an icicle? <laughs> she hopped forward. Talk about iceberg there. lettuce! The pigeon Sorry. flapped its wings and soared into the air. Elizabeth rushed over to Emilio. He was lying on his side, moaning in pain. A gaping hole had been drilled from his crust. The ground around him was strewn with crumbs and clumps of white innards. He gave a weak laugh when she arrived. Thanks, he said. Oh, God, said Elizabeth. <laughs> Don't worry. It hurts worse than it looks. <laughs> he gave another more strangled laugh. Good job with that pigeon. Okay, she won the psychological battle. <laughs> we can patch you up with something. She started pulling him towards the door. No, stop, stop. She stopped. Just, just listen. I'm gonna die. No. Listen, I'm dying. You can't stop that. We don't have anything that could. We probably couldn't even get back to the dresser in time. So I want you to do something for me. And I think, I want you to forget about me. <gasps> When I die, I mean... What? No! What are you talking about? He shuddered. A few pieces of crust broke off and fell. I want you to move past us. I, I want you to be able to live your life. When I'm gone, don't limit your happiness because of me. No! She cried. She started pulling him centimeter by centimeter towards the dresser. He gave a long moan. You're not going to die. I'm going to die. And I want you to move on when I do. Please, no. She wasn't sure whom she was speaking to. Elizabeth, I love you. I love you too, she said through tears. I know, he said, as shudder ran from his body. Oh, he said, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to break it. <laughs> A promise? Life left him. Elizabeth sat next to him and cried for hours before going back inside. She took his body in with her. Popcorn. She gave him a traditional bread funeral, cutting the body into slices and arranging them in a circle around the dresser. For the next four and a half weeks, she never left. Everything seemed hollow. Occasionally, she would pick up on the bits of garbage littering the dresser and make a show at using it, but would always put it back down quickly and retreat back into the comfort of the corner. One day, as she lay in the dark, the dresser jolted. She hardly noticed. Then it gave another great shake and flew up into the air. It flipped over and she was tossed against the wall. She clung to the side, trembling as it soared. Then, just as quickly as it had lifted up, it fell. When it hit the ground, it burst. She was sent bouncing away and lay on the ground in the daze. When she recovered her senses and looked up, she saw that she was in a landfill. A garbage witch was flying above her. Moving towards her was a group of assorted foods, all dirty and rotten. Fruits and meats and breads and candies. She scrambled back. They kept advancing. She shut her eyes and waited for the inevitable. It didn't come. The foods, it turned out, were friendly. They welcomed her into their fold as another abandoned edible. They were, she learned, like her. Outcast food, consigned to the garbage and forced to eke out a living. There were hundreds of colonies like this in the landfill, forming a massive community that almost rivaled that of the surrounding city. Only this was a safe haven for all food. 
They took her in, finally giving her a permanent home. She made friends with the other food, entrenched herself among them, and though she wasn't exactly happy, she felt something other than emptiness for the first time since Emilio's death. There was another loaf, named Andrew. He was charming, intelligent, and handsome. Several times he tried to make an advance at her, and each time she rejected him. Despite what he had told her, she still had not forgotten Emilio. The years went on. She grew closer to Andrew. Eventually she came to love him. They lived together in a desk on the outskirts of the community. They grew old. She was happy. Wow, that ending kind of took all the wind out of the sails. Uh, well, that no being said, story. Uh, a loaf story gets an upvote from me. I thought it was funny. The writing, I feel like, could have been... Im- what? I just realized I do have an account on the Wondrous Library. Nice. I was going to say, I felt like some of the writing could be a bit better. There were a lot of saids. There was obviously like missed words throughout. Uh, I feel like they could have mixed up the vocabulary a bit. Uh, maybe developed a little bit more. But at the end of the day, you know, it's a love story about bread, and it's clearly meant to be a comedy. And I appreciate that for what it is. I can understand why this is a popular article. I would give it like an 8 out of 10. Nice. Uh, pretty good. What about you? I quite like it as well. I like the hints of world building that's in there with the, the fruits. like the, the Yeah, I agree. Like with the fruits and vegetables and the garbage witch and stuff, they kind of hint at a larger universe with like well, things going it on. It seems like, oh, this is funny. What if... Breads could think in our world, but it's not our world, and you like realize that as it goes. Yeah, there has seems to be like a. I say this being the first WL article I've ever read, but it seems like it has a vibe that gels with the lore of the Wonders Library. If that makes sense, like Get hinting at something Wonders more fantastical. From this one. Well, but you know what I mean. Like it, yeah, it, no, it hints at something larger and more whimsical than just like, oh, it's a story that happens to be on the Wanderers Library about a food we're alive. Like you said, yeah, there's yeah. hints of world building. There's sort of elements there that kind of hint towards something unnatural, aside from food being able to move and talk. Yeah, but that happens in our world, too. My food moves yeah. and talks, at least. Toy Story, but with food. You got your food, a friend your, and me. Your food's normal, but the food I eat, it moves and talks. So I will say, I know you said we have three articles, but we're already at 46 They minutes, are shorter so. ones, so I think we should make a go of it. Okay. So you mind hitting me up with the next one? The next one is by Uranium Empire. It is called <gasps> Clip, Clip Off and Sephiros. I like Uranium Empire. She's great. All right. Uh, this is not short. You lied it's, to me. No, is the, the formatting makes it seem longer. I don't believe there. you, but you're going to read all of it. So Okay. Sh- oh, yeah, I will. I fucking will. Watch. Um <laughs> 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 Hit me. In the vast, desolate expanse of the beginning, there was an immense, mindless husk, now known as Klipoff. In its corner of the beginning, Klipoff was alone. Klipoff did not think, for there was nothing to think about. Klipoff did not move, for there was nothing to move about. Most especially, Klipoff neither died nor lived, for there was nothing to demarcate the line between the living and the dead. And then came fire... And with fire <laughs> came disparity. The last it, pygmy, Clipoff. <laughs> it doesn't say that. It, what it does say is, and Clipoff was happy. Is that a theme? I know this is, again, only the second article, but that whole, like, and X was happy thing. Is that like a Wanderer's Library trope? Um, I don't know. I, I don't think so. I think it's just a part of this writing style. Gotcha. In the vast, desolate expanse of the beginning, there was an intense, singular point of light now known as Sephiroth. 
With no body, Sephiroth was free to explore the beginning as they foresaw fit. Sephiroth would circle the shapes and patterns around them, committing each to memory. In their minds, Sephiroth analysed all they saw, comparing and contrasting the myriad sights so that they may understand all. The very act of being was a marvellous wonder, and Sephiroth should have been happy. But Sephiroth was alone, and Sephiroth was unhappy. In the vast, desolate expanse of the beginning, Sephiroth came upon Klipoff. Before, Klipoff and Sephiroth had been alone, singular things from which nothing could be compared. But now, joined within the vast expanse of the beginning, an awareness fell over them, of things that were, and things that weren't. Klipoff was dark. Holy shit, I just realised this kind of sounds like a mythological origin story, like the beginning of some religion. Klipoff was dark, was cold and mindless and painfully existent. Its flesh spilled across the vast expanse of the beginning, heavy with matter, yet bereft of the warmth that radiated from Severos. See, I no just one... want to note, and I, and I don't mean to like dish negatively on the previous story, but like the way Uranium Empire writes, like both in the style and like the breadth of vocabulary, is like it keeps you more interested, I think, and it really varies up the writing a lot. I I really enjoy it. Mm, yeah, they got very good writing so. No longer ignorant of what could and what could not have been, Klipoff found itself confused and frightened. Yet Sephiroth, no longer alone in the vast expanse of the beginning, was elated. Though aware of their own incorporeal impotence, Sephiroth gained context to the light, things which to illuminate and warm. There's something I love about the phrase incorporeal impotence. (laughs) He was something to impart their knowledge upon, to share the wonders of the beginning. And they started a podcast called Discovering SCP. Dude, hell yes. Driven by envy and joy, Klipoff and Sephiroth suffused themselves with one another, and the vast, desolate expanse of the beginning gave way to the lights and wonders of creation. Oh, hell yeah. This does. I think this is going to be a religion, baby. You know I love me my religious stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Creation, possessing the wisdom of Sephiroth and the matter of Klipoff, quickly unfolded with gleeful abandon. Oh! Creation's like its own being. First, That's creation cool. exploded outward, demarcating light and dark, fast and slow, trow and crest, and creation was happy. Second, creation suffused the void of all manner of solids, liquids, and gases, demarcating wave and particle, matter and energy, movement and stillness, and creation was happy. Sorry so, to interrupt again, but that's very interesting, because usually creation uh, mythos keeps things simple, but they kind of really tackle more like specific scientific stuff with like wave and particle matter and energy yeah. it shows uh kind of like that library level knowledge type deal very interesting to this see in a creation myth third creation suffused the matter of the second with the explosion of the first demarcating atom and quark baryon and non-baryon reaction resistance and creation was happy I almost hope that ue takes it further and goes beyond like the science stuff we know and starts making up bullshit because that would be dope. Fourth, creation experimented with the fruits of the third, demarcating planet and void, star and singularity, dust and plasma, and creation was happy. Fifth, creation suffused the products of experiments with self-direction, demarcating life and death, plant and animal, bone and flesh, and creation was happy. Six, creation granted all that moved with an immortal, immutable essence, demarcating mind and soul, pain and joy, love and hate. And creation was tired. Though alone in their work, creation's efforts did not go unappreciated. From their myriad gardens arose four tribes of its children. 
from stone gardens arose the giants. Great at yawn, the giants. <laughs> Everything is Dark Souls, baby. Welcome to DSCP. Fuck you. Great and mighty beasts who strode mountains as hills and oceans as lakes. See, but that's the thing, like, Dark Souls jokes aside, that this is, like, so, uh, has such an evocative description and tone to it that I can almost imagine in my head, like, a Dark Souls-esque cinematic scene of, like, these <laughs> creatures rising, you know, as they're being introduced. It's so yeah. cool. You have to go kill all four. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. In reverence to creation, did they carve rivers and canyons, shape mountains, even break and join the lands into a myriad of shapes. From muddy lakes arose the Shidim, colourful in both appearance and demeanour. In reverence to creation did they maintain their great works, polishing and dusting the stones of the lands that they may shine bright for all to see. From the sandy plains arose the angels, things of equal parts, energy and matter. Oh, that's going to be a hard boss. In reverence to creation did they judge <laughs> all that walked and crawled, teaching all who would listen of proper reverential behaviour and carefully guiding all who would not on the path to righteousness. Finally, from the clay of the plains and the hills and the valleys, from the hands of the giants and the brooms of the Shedom and the wisdom of the angels, there arose man. That's another interesting thing that often takes, that is different than a lot of other um, sort of mythos. Rather than the the beginning entities creating humanity, humanity is sort of created by their offspring in a combination of work. See, that's another thing I really like about this, is you can tell there's the bones of something you're familiar with, but UE really makes it their own and sort of, like, adds to it in so such creative and new ways. That's why I really enjoy their writing a lot. And reading this makes me really, really want to get them on at some point to play Dawn of Worlds with us. I feel like that game would fucking slap. Yeah. It'd be so good. Dearest of creation was man, who regarded their twelve eyes as beautiful and their twelve legs as graceful. It was man who... Oh, is this like the, the man in the... What's that paint? Who did the painting of the guy with like all the arms spread out in the... You know what I'm talking about. Leonardo like that Vinci. famous... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it like that kind of man? I don't know. It was man who built creation's temples, man who gathered their fattest livestock and supple fruits to the altars to burn. Not the fruits! The fruits love it, it's fine. Oh, right, yeah. Man sang songs of praise from their six mouths, soothing the tired mind of creation. Many a gift was bestowed upon the clay as appreciation for the reverence of man. Grain, berry, vegetation, livestock, all flowed freely from the freshwater rivers and gentle plains, though the elder children of creation looked on in envy. But in this age of righteousness, man would share the fruits of the clay with their elder siblings. All was, for a time, in perfect working order. But in time, the remnants of Klipoff stirred, and the seams of creation's creation began to fray. Oh no. Creation's erosion was silent, at first. Oh, that's such a good line! I'm sorry, I know I just keep nerding out and gushing, but seriously. (laughs) God, I love the way Yui writes. It's like right up my fucking alley. It's so good. The giants, massive as they were, first suffered for Klipoff's motions. Their skins of stone cracked, forcing a painful hunch in their stride. Within their forms grew a noxious lichen, coating them in its rancid spores. Soon the gems that stood in their forms would grow clouded and dirtied, and the giants were blind, maddened with pain and grief, and became oh a God, boss really battle, feel... baby! <laughs> this really does feel like Dark Souls! The curse of the undead. <laughs> the curse... Next suffered the Shudim, attendance to the giant's well-being. 
the loose mud that coated the hardened skeleton fell away, taking with it the Shedim's vibrant colours. No longer shielded from heat or cold, the Shedim writhed in pain, sharpening talon and horn in their desperate convulsions. The suffering of man was subtle at first. The social cohesion that had once defined their compassion dimmed, letting fester hate and fear. Soon the individual man was unable to maintain even the clay bonds among its faces, splitting into six hateful shapes. Oh, they split into normal humans. They used to be all together. Oh, damn. The angels, raging in countenance, sought to fix the maladies of their peers, yet they too would fall as their light dimmed and dimmed until their glass bodies fell still with darkness. The marriage of matter and energy was not to be. Sephiroth was devastated. Before, the vast desolate expense of the beginning had been all there was and all that would be. Now its vast emptiness stood in contrast to the vibrance of the creation. Return to such a solitude was unacceptable. Clipoff could no longer be trusted, and yet it was matter by which... Did Clipoff do it intentionally, though, or was it just like a result of them being a never-ending flesh mass on accident? I don't know. And yet it was matter by which Sephiroth's energy was embodied. Sephiroth would have one chance before solitude consumed them once more. From the forces of creation, Sephiroth enlisted man and giant, not yet utterly ruined by the thrashings of Clipoff. Sephiroth tutored them in the ways of righteousness, guiding them against further corruption through holy work and divine wisdom. For 114 generations, Sephiroth groomed creation against the chaos of Clipoff. Yet as the last forests were felled to craft the tools necessary for Sephiroth's final ploy, the Shedom, maddened by pain and the thrashings of Clipoff, declared total war upon their fellow children. The war of Klipoth and Sephiroth, as the first war known to creation, was unclouded by untruths of glory and strength. No battles were commodified under proper nouns. There was no economy to fix or fuel a fighting. Nothing fought for was not fought with, or in, or upon. There was but violence, disorganised of rent flesh and broken spirits. There was but slaughter. Oh, I'm gushing at this writing. Oh my god, I love it! Victory, as we understand it, never came. The armies of Klipoff at the command of the Great Idiot have been slaughtered to information. <laughs> Save the worm idiot. with the free-tooth maw. Yet even so, the worm towered above the remaining 25 men and seven giants of Sephiroth's. No spear, no arrow, no sword or claw or cannon could pierce the worm's hide. No lunge of the worm was fast enough to catch the 32. Creation was at a standstill. Creation sat at standstill. Creation stewed in standstill. Creation grew sour in standstill. Creation rotted standstill. The twenty-five were devoured. Man was never meant for eternity. With each dodge of the worm's teeth, the twenty-five grew weary in body and in mind. There was no time for happiness, for joy, for relaxation or contemplation or anything but an endless vigil against the worm. With time, their dodges slowed. And in the end, there was no escape from the bottomless pits of the free-toothed moor. But for the first time in epochs, the worm felt happy. That was all Sephiroth needed, for buried in the depths of the worm and the depths of Clifford's guts were their very fingers. Sephiroth pulled, and creation was torn to shreds. In so separation, was, Is that like the last thing created died, so thus so did creation? Well, let's find out. In separation, Clipoff was irreparably changed. 
torn from Clippa was a multitude of its flesh, the matter that had once sustained creation. What was once all there was had been unevenly severed, even as scalding viscera poured from Clippa's weeping wounds. And Clippa howled, for its scalding viscera had torn something from Sephiroth's, something without name, without weight. Clippoff could think. Clippoff could feel. Clippoff could hate. And Sephiroth knew nothing but grief. Back was the emptiness of existence, the nothing suffusing the everything. Yet now it was even less tolerable, for Sephiroth had, for but a fleeting epoch, known something beyond it. To be without what had provided them so much joy, it was unacceptable. Still bearing the stolen viscera of Clippoff, Sephiroth went to work recreating creation. But it was not to be. Everything was wrong, twisted and imperfect and improper and fake. Not the creation they knew, the creation they loved and cultivated and celebrated. Their precious creation was dead. In grief, Sephiroth gathered the viscera of Clippoth and buried it among the nothing of the beginning. Nourished by Clippoth's viscera and watered from Sephiroth's tears, something sprouted from the nothing. A tree bearing fruit upon its branches. Its twenty-five branches. And um, I'm not familiar with that SCP, but uh, let's continue. We're going to have to read that SCP at some point. Yeah. Our world is suspended, perilous in the nothing. Sephiroth looks over us from above, the divine spark casting light upon the whole of all that we know. They love us, and we love them. They call their angels, the seven giants of the old creation, to defend us. Yes, indeed. Defend. The fruit of the tree of creation is delectable to those of no name. Even now, a great many horrors, willing or unwilling, have embedded themselves in our worlds. Yet more, blind or curious or malicious, seek to visit harm, willing or unwilling, upon all that we know and love. And of course, one cannot forget Clipoff. Well, Clipoff hasn't forgotten either. Alright, so, um, this was fucking amazing. Um... I honestly, I gotta be real with you. I know this might be a bit of an acquired taste, but I, again, nothing against the last tale, but I think this tale deserves more attention. This was fucking, oh, it was well, so good. 13 out I of 10 to, to me. I actually picked this up for another reason as well, because this is some funny trivia. Mm-hmm. So this, this still does have like a surprising amount of attention, but it's a weird kind of attention. Because mm-hmm. you know, like on those forum movies where they're always like about power tiers and like who would win and shit. Oh my god, no! Reason, they always bring up Sephiroth as, like, the, big, the, big, the biggest SCP guy. And, like, where did Why? you find Sephiroth? It's on one page on the Wanderer's Library, the spin-off wiki. Not only that, but, like, why would you turn like, such an interesting world-building like tale of creation like, like, would, He would kill Sukhsoto, who's universal level. Oh my god, fuck the internet. <laughs> this is beautiful, <laughs> though. 13 out of 10. In fact, I have to stop right now and DM uh, right now. We are mid-recording, but I just have to tell you, absolutely love Clipoth and Sephiroth. Great writing. Okay, I just had to get that across. <laughs> I just love that. It's like, <laughs> what? I didn't even know what Sephiroth was. It's like, so a discussion, and everyone was like, no, Sephiroth was it. I was like, who the fuck is Sephiroth? Oh my god, that's but so I've been funny here for to 10 me. years, who the fuck is that? That's actually hilarious. And that's what led me to this story for the first time, because I was so confused. Well, that was a banger, but it also... Uh, Very sadly, we that's have reached a damn the hour shame. Mark. Tian was telling me about that, but 
I think it goes against the spirit of what's going on. It's not really about how powerful. We're getting one side of the conversation. Is. Is. This is fantastic. But man, post in the comments that's... what you think Kirino Empire is saying. No, no, no. You <laughs> was like, thank you. Also, you're going to get a ton of battleboarding comments. So that's why I was saying that. <laughs> oh man. God, this see, this is why I love UE's writing. Just amazing. This is why they were so fun to roleplay with. There's they so many feats. You can tell how strong like everyone is. Yeah, uh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no, but for real, this was a banger. Uh, I wish we had time to do more, but we are over. Would an I hour, win like against Sephiroth? Do you think? Or would I lose? No. Um, actually, Sephiroth is the strongest, so I think you would lose. Yeah, but I'm away. So if he attacks me, the attack will just go through me into another dimension. Alright, you ready for... We, we're doing the comment reading, but this Bite is like... Comment reading. Only the finest of the crop. Yeah, this is coming out like not even 12 hours after the episode we've, airs. We've so thrown you all into my Minecraft mob grinder and only the strongest have come out. Alright, you guys ready for this? Y'all ready for this? Top 10. Alright, thought experiments and other stuff. Uh, says, tut, 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 where's the next part of the cactus voice, boys? Uh, uh your mom. <laughs> Andrew Marshall says, all right, I have to write this down because I'm keeping track of the names. So the first Perfect. one, my fan group name suggestion is the Fan Honies. Fuck you. That doesn't include um, me, but that one does have two likes. But so one of those I'm, I'm judging on like. If you like every comment. <laughs> the return of, oh yeah, I like every comment. That's true. The Return of the Kings. I hope you get better soon, Darnell. Says, oh, this is from Good A. I vote for our names to be those awful, horrible creatures that lurk in our walls, listening intently on every word we say. I am scared. Please save us. Skippers for short. I like this one. All right, that one has three likes, so it's in the lead right now. Uh, Land says, 5848, where's Tanoni sound ever? Hang on, let me listen to that. This is probably when I was being the cartist. <laughs> Uh, glad you guys uploaded this week. I was starting to get withdrawal symptoms. Edit, our fanbase name is Anomalous Listeners. Uh, that one's pretty good. That's also three likes, so it's tied with days. Brandon Hamilton says, quickly, everyone in the comments, do the wave with me. Wait, wait, Insert clever... Are we blind? Deploy the garrison! <laughs> Insert clever name here says, my fan name recommendation is the Smart Gamers. Although, I thought we already had one, on the smart. party people. Maybe that's just a relic of a bygone age. Edit, never mind, I'm not a smart gamer, a party person, or a discoverer. I can't believe Darnell plays Cookie Run Kingdom. This has ruined my perception of this podcast. This, like, what the fuck? Cookie Run Kingdom has destroyed this person I thought I knew. He keeps talking about cookies and the fucking... Cookie Run Kingdom is the only thing I can do at work when I'm standing <laughs> I thought you had to say, Cookie Run Kingdom is the only thing I care about anymore. No, no, it's not, but, like, it's the only way I can do at work when everyone's fucking asleep and I can't do anything else without working. What do you do in Cookie Run Kingdom? Isn't it, like, don't you run? It's just a gotcha. It's just, like, it's the same as FGO. You, like, get cookies, you level them up, you fight stuff. The only added element is you, like, produce stuff that you can trade for resources and whatnot. So there's sort of, like, a Clash of Clans-esque element to it, I guess, but it's, it's pretty much FGO. Well, you heard it first, we were sponsored by Cookie Run Kingdom. We might as well have been at this point. You guys should come play it with me. I'm trying to build a guild here. Well, I, I, I'm going to say now our goal for the podcast is to get sponsored so, by Cookie Run Kingdom. Hell yes. Insert clever name here, uh, because they insulted me and was really mean. I'm not counting their name. <gasps> uh, 
Guare Fernandez Emil says, "Great episode as always. I don't exactly, I don't know exactly why, but hearing this podcast allows me to read SCP that I wouldn't otherwise because of their length. I suffer, so you don't have to. I especially love when Anthony says no. Always gives me a chuckle. My famous catchphrase. <laughs> I don't even remember you saying that. No. Oh, there we go. Yeah." And yeah, so much cross-out feels pointless and can detract a lot, even from great articles saying non-Euclidean has the same effect, especially when talking about biology, since, you know, Euclidean biology doesn't exist, and I doubt it even can exist. If you ever do an episode about GOI formats, I recommend Project Proposal 2024-258, KOI format, unicorn horn, and then a bunch of fucking letters and numbers, adoption poster, bandit, and track four, you and me. These are all relatively short, especially the last one, which you can hear under three minutes, so they could all fit in an episode, and perhaps more importantly are quite varied both in tone and in groups of interest. I also wonder when you will do the Harbinger episode. Next episode. No, that'll have to be its own arc, because there's like ten of them. And I haven't read any of them yet. I should have, but I haven't. This guy is the Harbinger for the Harbingers. He hasn't even read them. Who is this guy? I fucking lost my job the minute that that, uh, Locke revealed themselves. They kind of took over my duties. It was so sad. (laughs) I was was looking forward to like... A a disgraced employee. Like, I'll show that. Yeah, I was like so excited about getting to do stuff for you guys. And I was like, oh, I guess my job's over. But it was fun while it lasted. And it was cool. Everyone was really nice. You were like the Silver Surfer for a little bit. For a little bit, yeah. I mattered again. Uh, Take Walker says, "No, not tan, honey. Wow, you really gonna do your bro like that right off the bat? You gonna huh? do your bro like that, Dono? I don't even know on, what bro? that's in reference what did, to. What did you say to me? I don't remember. See, that's the beauty of our friendship is is it never wanes because we forget every transgression. <laughs> Except for, I think the only one that will last forever is that awkward time in the Your Turn to Die episode." But yeah, Tan and I, our friendship will never die because we simply What was the awkward forgetful. part of the year turn to die? I don't remember this. Uh, remember <laughs> when we like fought, we were like fighting over who who said the thing first for some reason? I vaguely remember this. It, like, I, I've just defeated your point because I have forgotten. Yeah, see, exactly. I don't even remember the specifics. I just remember we joked about our, our friendship being saved by Gashi saying something funny. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the yellow sign says, The demon page slash an anomalous author page when? Right now. At Oxygen B says, Metaphysician is free, smile. Funnily enough, this episode is one eleven eleven. Your mic is still shit, Darnell. Please don't hurt me. What the fuck is wrong with- Is my mic actually bad? It's fine. This guy's just a- Just a rabble rouser. No, no, no. Be, be real with me, Tan. Is my mic fine? fine? Do you think it's just it's like fi- a matter of fine. editing? It's anomalous, fine. tell me- he, Tell me as you're editing dying. this in the Look what you've done to him. <laughs> I fucking, I want to put out a high quality podcast. I bought like a fancy mic. What do I got to do? <laughs> Look what you've done. It's my podcast, Barna Adoration B. You've ruined him. Anomalous, please tell me honestly if there's like something I could do to improve or what's going on. Anyway, he says fan base name suggestion would be Discoverers. And he has six likes, which is the most. So that wins. They are the Discoverers. Yeah, the discoverers against now. your wishes. With our five minute <laughs> votes. <laughs> yeah. An anomalous writer says, "New episode once again." Wowza! DSCP fan if, if you suggestion. Fucking call yourselves a discoverers in the comments. I'll kill you. DSC peepers. Uh, that had five likes. We were so close to greatness, but we so, are the discoverers, baby. That is the official fun base name now. You better never fucking use it. Or I'll, yeah, I'll use it. What's up, discoverers? Hey, discoverers. Yeah. 
See, that feels weird because isn't the explorings thing explorers? I don't, I don't know. I don't think they really have like. So a how how thing. long are we gonna bite their bit unintentionally? Uh, I've, I've been doing it intentionally from day one. Damn. Uh, all right. Is there anything else we need to go over before we call it? That's all I can think of. All right. Well, again, Anomalous, let me know about the mic thing. Hopefully we can get that fixed. Um, <laughs> a few words in the comment. You've convinced him, like, I've smashed his mic with a hammer. Well, you that's because I thought him. my mic was good. If it's bad, it's I want to fix it. It's I want fine. our podcast it's to fine. grow. It's fine. I can, okay. There's no issue. Tell him Anomalous. Okay. In, the fu- in, the, in the future when you receive this. Tell him it's fine. There are only two options in this world, and it's that I need to fix my audio or a Dr. Shitch B is insane. Those are the only <laughs> two outcomes. Why are you gaslighting him because he didn't like your mic? This is fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because liking a mic isn't something subjective, right? If it sounds bad, that's because it sounds bad, so I can yeah, fix exactly. it. But maybe it's something wrong with like their speaker. I don't know. I'm not or trying to might. gaslight you, Dr. Shitch. I just want to get to the bottom of it. Maybe there's something wrong with their brain. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> All right. I'm going to get hooked on this if I don't end the episode. So bye. Bye.